Welcome to the 34-Circe Salon. We journey from the ancient world to the cosmos. Take the adventure, Take with, the adventure us. with us. With us. With us. With us. With us. With us. And welcome back, everyone, to the 34 Circe Salon. This is the Parallax Channel. I am Sean Marlon Newcomb, and we're going to be continuing our epic journey in the world of Homer, the world of the ancient Greeks. It's the Iliad, Chapter 17. But as always, if you would be so kind as to go on your podcast platform and leave either a wonderful comment or a high rating, we'd be so happy because we'd love some other people to find this podcast and listen to these stories. And of course, to be able to take the journey, we need our guide as always, the one, the only, Dr. Gary Stickle. Welcome, Gary. Have you heard your adoring followers there? Well, I I hope, but anyhow, thank you so much. All right. So, Gary, when last we left our Greeks and our Trojans, um, Achilles' old pal, Patroclus, uh, was joining the fray as if he were Achilles, and he fell and met his doom. And now we are faced with picking things up in Chapter 17 after that fateful event, and let us know what we have in store and tell us all about it. Yeah, you know, regarding chapter 16, um, Achilles still won't fight. He's still uh, sulking because he uh, feels he's been terribly treated, you know, by Agamemnon, who took away his love slave, Briseis, or Briseis, however you pronounce it. Um, mm -hmm. And. Uh, <clears throat> But Patroclus persuades him to uh, allow him to wear his armor to inspire the Greeks to attack the, you know, counterattack the Trojans that are trying to, uh, you know, force their way to the ships and burn the ships so they, the Greeks won't have a way uh, of escape or to go home. Mm -hmm. uh, and then, you know, Patroclus uh, has this duel with Hector, the son of King Priam and Queen Hecuba of Troy, and the greatest defender of Troy. He's Achilles' equivalent, you know, for the Trojans. And uh, he thinks he's fighting Achilles, but and he kills him, but it, when he takes the helmet off, he sees it's not Achilles, it's Patroclus. And so and that's chapter 16. Chapter 17, mm -hmm. uh, usually I start out with, uh, you know, talking about the uh, 1883 Harvard translation of the Iliad. Right. That's what usually uh, you quote from, and then we get going. You know, by um, Langleaf and Myers. Um, right, right. But this time I'm, I'm, I'm going to lead with Fagel's because um, <clears throat> Fagel's entitles Chapter 17, quote, Menelaus's Finest Hour. Hmm. Okay. And that's really mm -hmm. not the best way to describe it. Actually, Langleaf and Myers has a better way of describing it, and they call it of the battle around the body of Patroclus. Mm. So they, they get it right. Okay, okay. Because Menelaus, and when we've just as we've gone through this, he doesn't strike me as a very heroic character. Well, it, 
and this chapter is. Uh, well, what I mean is when you say his finest hour, so you have this this guy who is uh, of a character that is not of the highest order. Would you agree? That he's not the that well, he's not I, I don't exactly. Know. I mean, well, we talked about how I he's mean he's Penelope, he's, he's right? a warrior. He's not on the level of Achilles or Hector, no. but you know. He, but I he mean, is. I mean, just his behavior, though, Gary. Just his treatment of you know. What do we think? Why did Why did Penelope leave? You know that sort of thing. Uh, how did he rally not, the not, troops? Not Penelope. It was Helen. I mean, Helen. Sorry. How did Helen lead? How did he rally the troops? That sort of thing. Why did? Yeah. You know, we talked about that, and it didn't seem as if he. His character was of the standard that the Greeks would laud. For well, that's that's not what Chapter Seventeen says. Um, no, no. But what what did you think? We've talked about to up until this point. Well, I about Menelaus. No, I, I I think he's brave enough and whatever. But he no, no. I'm not saying he's not brave. I'm saying the kind of person he is, like how he treats people, how he treats his wife, how he treats his other the other yeah, kings. Well, the other obviously. Obviously, he didn't treat his uh, wife Helen well, or she wouldn't have ran off with Paris. Right, and that's what I mean. So it's his finest hour, but we're, I'm trying to put it into context. For well, the I I don't agree you know, with, you know, maybe it's his finest hour, but uh, the chapter is better described as the battle around the body of Patroclus. Uh, right, and I just just for context, you know, he's we're going to hear him do these you know particular deeds. I just want us to remember the guy we're talking about. Because I think that's really important with these classic heroes. It's important to really understand how beautifully Homer shows the humanity of them. And humanity means you have foibles as yes. well as great traits. And mm -hmm. I think I just want to make sure that we remember and, that. And in that regard, by the way, um, I was reading this article and uh, I don't remember the guy's name. I'm glad I don't actually. There's some scholar somewhere and, he wrote an article that I got on the internet because I keep getting these uh, news items articles. Uh, you know, when I go to Google, and Big he brother was is watching you. That's why. Yeah, I guess. But um, he was disrespecting Homer, mm -hmm. and he and he was saying that you know Homer uh, doesn't really uh, present a glorious story. You know, Homer. It's ridiculous. You know, he, he just had all these criticisms, which were That's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. ridiculous. There's he, a reason he, the stories lasted this long. And he agrees that Homer doesn't need to be taught in the, the classics departments of universities, for God's sakes. What are you going to teach? Because that's essentially what the great the Greco-Roman world looked at as its source material. That's its uh, basic absolutely. material. So what what are you going to teach if you're not teaching Homer? I mean, you That's know, Virgil's word. Aeneid is based on Homer. I mean, Virgil was a great poet, but he based uh, the Aeneid on, on Homer. And, um, you know, I've, I've got an idea for, you know, if that's his idea. You know, why not? Why don't we just not teach Greek or Roman history in classical departments? That could solve it. Well, it should be taught somewhere because uh, I'm, I'm, I'm kidding, Gary. What I'm saying is, it's ridiculous to not teach Greek classics. History is Greek or Roman. Well, I, I thought by definition, if they're teaching classics, they have to teach Homer by definition. To me, well, that's what I'm saying. I mean, Greek and Roman history is we consider classical antiquity. So if they're not yeah. going to teach that, there's no reason to teach it. So exactly, uh, that's my point. So you know, let's and, and the thing know, let's is, not be silly with this, right? And the thing is, he would deprive students of learning the fact, as I keep saying over and over again, 
The Iliad is the greatest story of war ever written. And, and, and it is so because, yes, he talks about, you know, uh, the Greek Bronze Age concepts of glory, you know, that you kill your opponent and you achieve glory by doing that and all that. Um, so, yes, there's violence and so on. But as you just uh, said, you know, Homer points out the, the foibles of people, you know, that people have, uh, you know, good, good uh, parts and the not so good parts to their mm-hmm. behavior. And uh, so Homer's characters are all, you know, uh, are, you know, they're multiplex, you know, they're, they're not, they're not one node ponies, you know? Well, let's, let's get to chapter 17. And this is a good example because again, I'm not a big fan of Menelaus, but let's hear about what's going on in this chapter. It's a really interesting chapter. Okay. So anyhow, going with Fagel's version, Menelaus's finest hour and, the chapter opens, but Atreus's son, the fighting Menelaus, marked it all. So he's, his, uh, you know, Homer's epithet for him here is fighting Menelaus. Uh, the Trojans killing Patroclus there and the brutal carnage and so on. And, and, and so he has Menelaus uh, being heroic, and he says he plowed through the front to stand astride the body of Patroclus. So the red-haired captain, meaning Menelaus, bestrode Patroclus now, shielding his corpse with spear and round buckler, burning to kill off any man who met him face to face. But Euphorbus, who's a Trojan, uh, hurled... uh, Oh, no, Euphorbus is a a Greek, I think. He would not neglect his uh, kill. Patroclus' handsome body. And... uh, so he, he taunted, uh, no, I'm sorry, Euphorbus is Trojan. <laughs> i got to get my story straight. No worries, no worries. Uh, Euphorbus taunts fighting Menelaus, and he says, Back high and mighty, Atreides, captain of armies, back from the corpse, and leave the bloody gear, meaning the uh, armor that's bloodied. I was the first Trojan, first of the famous allies, to spear Patroclus down. So let me seize my glory among the Trojans now, or I'll spear you too and rip your own sweet life away. So he's threatening Menelaus. But the red-haired captain, meaning Menelaus, flared back in anger. Father Zeus, listen to this indecent, reckless bluster. Not even a leopard's fury makes the beast so proud. Not even the lions, not the murderous wild boars. So Homer throughout the chapter keeps... uh, you know, referring to the different heroes by using uh, animals, you know, like lions and leopards and wild boars and so on. And so Menelaus warned, warned, but failed to shake Euphorbus's, who shot right back. Now high and mighty uh, Menelaus, now by heaven you pay in blood for the brother you laid low, making his wife a widow. So I think this is interesting that Homer refers, has Euphorbus mentioning that uh, Patroclus had a, had a wife because, uh, you know, we keep hearing about that uh, he had a homosexual relationship with Achilles, mm-hmm. but apparently he was bisexual according to this reference here. And seemingly so were a lot of the, uh, the Greek heroes that they, they, as they described them. So, so he so has a wife. So his wife, they talk about his wife being widowed. Okay. And then 
Well, you know, he said making making his wife, meaning Patroclus, a, a, a widow. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, Euphorbus is uh, Euphorbus um, is challenging Menelaus, and he says, "We'll see who stands his ground, who cuts and runs." So he stabbed Menelaus's round shield, and again, uh, uh, Homer's writing from the Iron Age about the Bronze Age. So I think he's confused about the shape of the shields because they weren't round. But uh, you know, based on all the uh, images we have from Bronze Age Greece, but anyhow, Homer refers to it as a round shield. And so he stabbed Menelaus's round shield full center, you know. Uh, and uh, and then with his turn next, Menelaus rose with a bronze lance. Again, he's saying bronze because he's in the Iron Age, right? And uh, and then Menelaus says a, a prayer to to Zeus, the king of the gods. And then he lunges at Euphorbus, and get this. Wait, 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 Gary, Gary, hold on just a second. I want to ask you to stop. I'm going to put a little note here. So this seems like there's something confusing going on here. You've got, you know, it's Menelaus versus Euphobus, did you say? Euphorbus. Euphorbus, okay. But you just had Euphorbus, he's he's fighting on behalf of Patroclus? No, no, I, 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 I was confused. He's fighting on behalf of the... Of the Trojans, okay. Because that so that's that's not the Patroclus who's been made. No, no, Euphorbus is the one that. Because um, uh, you said Euphorbus said that you've made to him his wife a widow, but if Euphorbus is talking about Patroclus, then Euphorbus would be on the side of Menelaus, and he wouldn't be fighting him. So he must be talking about either someone else or yeah, yeah, he is, he is. Okay, well, so. I mean, so it was Hector. He's talking about Hector because Hector is the one that killed uh, Patroclus, making okay. Patroclus's wife a widow. Okay. So he's okay. All right. So and and so he's not he's not he's not fighting to uh, in in the uh, in the stead of Patroclus. He's he's saying that he's saying it mockingly because I guess that's what I'm confused. It sounded like when you were describing it. He was uh, he was he was fighting for the honor of this man whose wife had been made a widow, and he was going to take on Menelaus because you know they had. Well, no, he's him. he's fighting for the Trojans who want the body, and it's very important to these Bronze Age Greeks to get the armor of the guy you killed. It, it, it okay. really enhances your glory. You know? So when he so when he called him a widow, he wasn't saying that sympathetically. When he said that his wife had been made a widow, he wasn't no. being sympathetic. No. Okay, was, that's what I was confused. It sounded like okay. All right, sorry. Please go ahead. So anyhow, um, so he he attacks Menelaus. Okay, and uh, but Menelaus, get this, pierces the pit of Euphorbus's throat, mm-hmm. leaning into it hard. And drove it home. The point went slicing through the tender neck. He and Euphorbus fell with a crash. And uh, armor ringing against his ribs, his his locks, I guess his hair, you know, like the Graces' locks, splashed with blood. The Graces, and by the way, there are three Graces, and three is a sacred number. Mm-hmm. 
So they're making a reference there and so on, you know. So Menelaus cut him down and was stripping off his armor and so on. And Menelaus might have stripped Euphorbus's armor uh, if Apollo had not grudged him that glory. So here we have Homer bringing in the gods to interfere with, you know, the the, the fighting. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, and uh, and so then Apollo appeals to Hector, you know, uh, and he says, "Grief bore down Hector, packing his dead heart." as he scanned the battle lines and saw the worst at once. The two men there, one stripping the gleaming armor, the other sprawled on the ground, blood still spurting warm from his sliced throat. Down the front he charged. Hector loosed a savage cry, flaring on like fire, like the god of fire who is Hephaestus, by the way. Mm-hmm. And... The ancient Greeks and Romans believed that Hephaestus uh, lived in, in uh, what we call Mount Etna today on Sicily. Mm-hmm. The one that recently, uh, you know, uh, uh, erupted and everything. Right, right. eruption and all that, you know, so. And, um, and, the, and the cry pierced Menelaus deeply torn now. And he says, what can I do if I leave the splendid armor and desert Patroclus? who fell her fighting all to redeem my honor. But if I should take on Hector and Hector's Trojans in single combat, trying to save my pride, won't they encircle me? So in other words, Menelaus is now, you know, worried he's going to be killed by Hector and the the Trojans. So he, uh, so he, uh, as Homer puts it, so uh, Menelaus gave ground, he left the corpse. And he was he was frantically looking for Ajax, who is this giant of a man by uh, their standards. And um, he wants Ajax to take on Hector, you know, because he's not he knows he's not capable of doing it. But uh, Menelaus went on the run, reaching him. He shouted, "Ajax, hurry, my friend, this way! Fight for the dead Patroclus. At least we can bring the body back to Achilles." So what they want to do is bring the body to Achilles and. Uh, and bring Achilles' armor back to him, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, he said, so he roused fury and battling Ajax's heart to go after uh, Hector, the famous, uh, you know, and, and get the famous armor off Patroclus and so on, you know? So Ajax charges in, and then Hector falls back. So, you know, it's interesting that you have these Throughout the chapter, you have heroes attacking and then falling back, you know, being afraid and attacking again. It goes back and forth like that, you know? Yeah, it's interesting, too. I mean, it's single one-on-one combat, single combat. And so to hear Menelaus ask somebody else to fight for him is a really, it's kind of a wild thought to modern ears. It doesn't seem very heroic. It seems like, you know. Yeah, exactly. But Ajax uh, answers the call, and it says, uh, but Ajax, shielding Patroclus round with his broad you know, shield, stood fast now, like a lion cornered with his young, when hunters cross close in. Uh, and, but then there's a, a, 
a Trojan called Glaucus, and he's scowling at Hector, and he says, Hector, our prince of beauty, battle all sham. So he's exhorting Hector to attack Ajax. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's he's uh, actually accusing him. He says, you lack the nerve to go up against great Ajax, you know. Hmm. But but go fight the man head on. So he's exhorting him, you know, Glaucus hmm. with brazen insolence. You know, Hector lies back. Glaucus, such brazen insolence from a decent man like you. But why? And then he, he says, I tell you, I never cringe at war, thundering horses. But the will of Zeus will always overpower the will of men. With with that, Hector loosed a shrill cry to the Trojans. Trojans, and he, he talks about Lycians, Dardans, fighters hand to hand. Now be men, my friends. Call up your battle fury. I'll strap on brave Achilles' armor, Bernie's armor. I stripped from the strong Patroclus when I killed him. So he's trying to say that he's going to put on Achilles' armor because it's a, a big glory thing for Bronze Age Greeks. And then he wants to lead the Trojans to uh, attack the Greeks. Uh, and uh, and Zeus, you know, doesn't totally agree, but he sort of goes along with it. You know, Zeus shakes his head, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And he, so he says, uh, I will grant you to compensate for all that is to come, but never again will you return from battle, Hector. Now, where Andromache, meaning his wife, take the famous armor, Achilles' deathless armor, from your hands. So, uh, you know, Zeus is allowing him to uh, prevail, you know, short term, but knowing that he's going to be eventually killed by Achilles, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, so Hector goes to all the uh, allies of the, of, of the Trojans and... Uh, Drove them on with winging oars. Hear me, tribes of allies living around our borders. Uh, the day I called you here, what I needed was men to uh, shield our helpless children, fighting men to defend our Trojan women, all out against the savage Greeks. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, it just... Um, uh, and he says, so the prince of battle cry complied with a high piercing shout that reached all the troops. And so he just says, uh, uh, you know, attack and attack and, you know, down in the mass, the Trojans uh, pounded. Hector led them on, charging in a heavy, as a heavy surf roars and, and against the rip of a river's mouth, swelled with the rains of Zeus. Zeus is a god of rainstorm, rain. And thunder. Mm-hmm. So whenever it rains, the Greeks would say that's Zeus, you know, acting. It says at first the Trojans could ram the Greeks back, and they abandoned the corpse. So in other words, they forced them off the corpse for a while, mm-hmm. and then they attempted to drag away Patroclus's corpse, but not for long. In a swift maneuver, Ajax wheeled them around. Ajax greatest in build. Right through the front, he plowed like a wild boar, you know, making that analogy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so he he fights, you know, for the body of uh, Patroclus. So it just it goes on like that, you know, right, back and right. forth and so on, you know. Bloody battle, bloody encounters, yeah. Mm-hmm. Shifting tides. And, uh, and then uh, 
and he's driving the the Trojans back. The Trojan troops would have clambered back within their walls and so on. But then Apollo steps in and spurs on Aeneas. And Aeneas is another prince of Troy from another line. And, of course, as we keep saying, yes. And as we we keep saying— He's the most important of all the characters here. We all know that. We all know <laughs> yeah, he is. <right. laughs> so. But anyhow, anyway. uh, he's he's brave and so on. Um, and uh, that and Virgil chose him to uh, center on him when he wrote uh, his great poem named after Aeneas called the Aeneid instead of the Iliad. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, the the founding of Rome. spurred on Aeneas taking the build of Periphus. Uh, and he said, uh, and so he provokes Aeneas. Aeneas, how could your men save Troy with the gods against you, and so on? Defend your country, their country well, you know, and so on. But the deadly archer Aeneas knew him at once. He knew he was uh, looking at a god, and even though he he took a human form, you know. Mm-hmm. And then Aeneas. Uh, with a rousing shout to Hector, he says, Hector, all you captains of the Trojan, Trojan allies, you know, uh, you know, so go for the Greeks, head on. Don't let them bear Patroclus's body back to the ships without a fight. Mm-hmm. And spring out of the lines, Aeneas took his stand, and so and so. Aeneas attacks. Aeneas is brave, you know. Mm-hmm. And so the, the, the two forces, the Greeks and the Trojans, uh, a battle around the body until, get this, the earth ran red with blood. And uh, and Homer says, so they fought like a swirl of living fire. You know, it's a great analogy. All day long, the men of war fighting rage, grim and grueling, relentless around the body. Trojans hoping to drag Patroclus back to Troy, Greeks to drag him back to the hollow ships. And, uh, and other gods are watching on. Ares, the god of war, and Athena, the goddess of defensive war. And, and uh, mm-hmm. you know, um, they're looking on, you know. So Homer in, involves the gods, you know, in, in, in an intimate way in, in, the, in the story. Yeah, in a way that we often don't see portrayed in modern films and modern series. Well, you know, it's just like the, the movie Troy, which was on last night. I didn't watch it. Um, but... Uh, you know, I left the gods out altogether, and you can't do it, and, uh, as far as I'm concerned, to tell the story right, you know? I agree, yeah. And um, but and, and then, you know, Homer goes on to say, but Achilles knew nothing of Patroclus' death, not yet. And so, uh, and but get this, his horses knew, Achilles' horses knew, because uh they were the horses of the chariot that Patroclus drove. Mm-hmm. And it says, but standing, uh, Achilles' horses wept when the first they had served their driver's death, brought down in the dust by man-killing Hector. So Zeus pitied the horses. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's interesting that Homer mentions that horses can have feelings, and he involves them in the emotion of, of the chapter. He's, I think uh, that's interesting. Homer is an extremely humane writing, writer, another reason that he should be taught. Okay, so since we're coming up to the the end of our 
of our time. Can you uh, kind of just draw us to the conclusion of this chapter? Yeah, so you know, it just it just goes back and forth, really. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And um, so he, he describes how you know, uh, on each side they kill they kill uh, heroes and stuff like that, you know. And uh, so, you know, it kind of ends up. So they labored to haul Patroclus from the war back to the big ships, meaning the Greeks. Fighting flared behind them, wild as a flash fire, sprung from nowhere, storming down on a teeming city, caving to the big blaze as gale winds whip it into a roaring conflagration, and so on. Uh, interesting. It, is, it sounds like the uh, you know the wildfires we have around here, you know. Mm-hmm. Houses are burning down. It says houses caving into the big blaze. Mm-hmm. It sounds like what's going on around here. It does. It does. Yeah. And uh, so anyhow, then it, uh, flying before them now like uh, clouds of starlings screaming murder, seeing a falcon dive in for the kill, the hawk that wings grim death at smaller birds. So pursued by Aeneas and Hector, Greek fighters raced screaming death cries. And that's the way the chapter ends. That's brilliant. That is an incredible ending. So we are coming to the final, the last few chapters of the Iliad. We're coming to the, towards the end of this great epic. And it's, you know, the finish is going to be exceptional. So as always, let us give a big round of applause to Dr. Gary Stickle. Thank you, Gary, for guiding us on this chapter. Well, you're welcome. It's always fun to do these podcasts with you. And uh, wonderful to do this with you as well. And so thank you all for listening. This has been the 34 Circe Salon, the Parallax Channel. We are doing Classical Studies 101, Chapter 17 of the Iliad. Take care. We'll be back soon.